Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Want to know another Snapple fact? The first hot air balloon passengers were a sheep, a duck, and a rooster. Ridiculous. Check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavored Snapple near you. In December 1984, a roll of undeveloped film, black and white film, showed up in the mailbox of uh, Jamie Shandera, a uh, in California, he was living in California. He was a, a movie maker, and uh, uh, he was interested in UFOs. And he was uh, doing some research uh, with that in, in that regard, along with Stanton Friedman, the late Stanton Friedman, uh, nuclear physicist and famous ufologist, probably the most famous ufologist, I would say, and uh, former ufologist Bill Moore. Uh, and then one day, he received this envelope in the mail, and. Uh, didn't know what it was. It was a roll of undeveloped black and white 35 millimeter film. And uh, when he had it developed, he discovered that it looked like it was uh, documents pertaining to, to the uh, Roswell incident, government documents, top secret government documents uh, that apparently were not supposed to be released to the public. But somebody within the government apparently decided to send this film to UFO researchers. Shandera, of course, uh, he was he had associate he was associated with uh, uh, Friedman and Moore, so obviously who, you know, who who the person who sent this to him knew this. Um, <clears throat> and anyway, uh, this is what the documents stated: they're basically top secret doc- documents that were pertaining to the Roswell incident and uh, uh, the establishment of a group to uh, investigate and and uh, handle. Uh, the, you know the situation that that occurred you know when Roswell the Roswell incident happened after the Roswell incident happened um, and basically what these documents are well one of them was a uh, basically it's a brief it was a briefing document that was prepared in 1952 for uh, President elect uh, Eisenhower uh, by the Truman administration. And uh, in this briefing document, it is revealed that uh, in 1947, not long after the Roswell crash, that a top secret uh, operation Majestic 12 group was was established and it uh, comprised 12 uh, top officials within the government, uh, scientists, uh, you know, generals uh, and and that's they they were, you know, tasked with uh, apparently with uh, looking into the, you know, know, keeping this information from the public, but as well as trying to determine the purpose of these visitors. Uh, But the documents are, you know, they've been 
over the years they've been talked about. A lot of people say, "Oh, they're fake," and but you know the the the, the, the funny part is is that they're never they've never been debunked. They've, these documents have never de- been debunked. And actually, Stanton Friedman uh, he wrote a book in the in the late '90s, and it actually came out. It was re, uh, republished again in the, in the early 2000s. Uh, and the book was called Top Secret Magic, Operation Majestic 12 and the United States Government's UFO Cover-Up. And in that book, uh, he details all the reasons why he believed this these documents were authentic. Uh, and he had answers to every everything that, every opposing uh, reasoning proposed by debunkers that, were put up, he would have an answer to it. And if you, it's not something that you could sit there and, uh, and, and, and try to describe in an hour long documentary, like some people have done over the years, but it is something that, uh, you know, that if you were to read this, it seems like there's actually more proof that favors the reality of these documents. But anyway, uh, <clears throat> and of course, if you know anyone who's familiar with Roswell, the, I mean, the basic story is that something crashed there in nineteen in July nineteen forty seven, and uh, the government covered it up. I mean, basically, there were alien bodies that were were there were seen and, and recovered, and and the government decided, that, well, we're not, we're going to keep this a secret, so we're going to tell the world that it was actually just a weather balloon, and then everyone forgot about the story. Uh, and that didn't, and that Roswell story didn't resurface until the late 1970s, until uh, Jesse Marcel Sr., who was uh, <clears throat> the top intelligence officer uh, at the Roswell Army Air Base uh, back in 1947, when this thing happened, he he went public and said, "No, no, this was not a weather balloon. This was materials of which we had no idea where they came from, and they could not have been made on this earth." I mean, basically, he said that this, this was extraterrestrial and that there was a cover up. And then over over the the years after that, decades actually, there were other witnesses that stepped forward. Uh, some some provided a written affidavit saying, "Yes, uh, yeah, the, the, this there was a cover up. It was actually aliens from outer space. Uh, you know, that's what that's what it was. There were." Bodies. There was a, a flying saucer, and it was recovered. There was it wasn't a weather balloon. The weather balloon was just a cover story. But anyway, so these documents show up in 1984. So now, when they first get these documents, uh, you know, they decide, well, okay, we're not gonna we're not gonna release this. We're not gonna let the public know about this because this could be a trick. I mean, maybe this is disinformation by the government. Maybe it's. Uh, disinformation by skeptics, and it's the second that we go public with this, they're going to say, "Hey, look, see, this is all faked, and you, how could you be fooled by this?" So uh, over over time, they were Stanton Friedman uh, did a lot of research. All three guy, all three of these guys actually did. They did a lot of research into it, and then uh, finally, uh, in 1987, three years after, uh, actually almost three years after they received it, so, uh, the the source of this, I guess, the source was getting antsy and decided to give it to a different UFO researcher in Britain, uh, Timothy Good. And Timothy Good, he didn't believe he actually uh, believes there was. He came to the conclusion that there was uh, some sort of a, there had to be some sort of organization like Majestic Twelve, but that he he didn't believe it. He thought it was phony. One of the reasons being that he thought it was phony, which and, and this is funny actually. He thought that well, you know, Eisenhower. Well, why would he need a briefing document on this? He would have most certainly been uh, made abreast of this in 1947. I mean, he was one of the, the country's top generals back then. I, that that doesn't make any sense. That does to me that doesn't make any sense. That argument because. 
uh, that's still at all. He's, he's becoming president. They, they have to put a briefing document together for him. And according to this briefing document, it says this is only to, should be regarded as only an introductory to a full operations briefing intended to follow. So Eisenhower, you know, he, he I'm sure he knew something about Roswell when after it happened, but he probably didn't know everything. So, uh, hence the, the, necess- the need for this uh, briefing document. Okay, now we're going to go through the briefing document. And on the first page, and it was eight pages altogether, uh, the first page, the first page, it says it's, you know, there's all these markings, top secret, a copy, one of one only. There was only one copy and it was made for, you know, President-elect Eisenhower. And it says, uh, briefing document, Operation Majestic 12, prepared for President-elect Dwight D. Eisenhower, eyes only, 18 November 1952. Warning, this is a top secret eyes only document containing compartmentalized information essential to the national security of the United States. Eyes only access to the material herein is strictly limited to those possessing Majestic 12 clearance level. Reproduction in any form or the taking of written or mechanically transcribed notes is strictly forbidden. That was page one. That was the introductory page to it. And then uh, the second page, eyes only. Subject, Operation Majestic 12 preliminary briefing for President-elect Eisenhower. Document prepared November 18, 1952. Briefing officer, Admiral Roscoe H. Hillencotter. Note, this document has been prepared as a preliminary briefing only. It should be regarded as introductory to a full operations briefing intended to follow. Operation Majestic 12 is a top-secret research and development slash intelligence operation responsible directly and only to the President of the United States. Operations of the project are carried out under control of the Majestic 12, or Magic 12, in parentheses, group, which was established by special classified executive order of President Truman on 24 September 1947 upon recommendation of Dr. Vannevar Bush and Secretary James Forrestal. See Attachment A. Now, we'll get into the attachments later, but attachment A was one of the documents, the only attachment that was included in this, but we will get to that at the end of this. Members of the Majestic 12 group were designated as follows. Admiral Roscoe H. Hillen Cotter, Dr. Vannevar Bush, Secretary James V. Forrestal, General Nathan V. Twining, General Hoyt S. Vandenberg, Dr. Detlef Bronk, Dr. Jerome Hunsecker, Mr. Sidney Sowers, Mr. Gordon Gray, Dr. Donald Menzel, General Robert Montague, Dr. Lloyd V. Berkner. And then it had a, it had a, a asterisk next to Forrestal's name because he had died in 1949, and it says... Uh, the death of Secretary Forrestal on 22 May 1949 created a vacancy which remained unfilled until 1 August 1950, upon which date General Walter B. Smith was de- designated as permanent replacement. And that was the end of page two. And then page three, it gives a, basically this is the beginning of the summary for the next few pages. It was a summary of what happened in 47 and the efforts afterward. Okay, here we go. On 24 June 1947, a civilian pilot flying over the Cascade Mountains in the state of Washington observed nine flying disc-shaped aircraft traveling in formation at a high rate of speed. Although this was not the first known sighting of such objects, it was the first to gain widespread attention in the public media. Hundreds of reports of sightings of similar objects followed. Many of these came from highly credible military and civilian sources. These reports resulted in independent efforts by several different elements of the military to ascertain the nature and purpose of these objects in the interests of national defense. A number of witnesses were interviewed, and there were several unsuccessful attempts to utilize aircraft in efforts to pursue reported disks in flight. 
public reaction bordered on near hysteria at times. In spite of these efforts, little of substance was learned about the objects until a local rancher reported that one had crashed in a remote region of New Mexico located approximately 75 miles northwest of Roswell Army Air Base, now Walker Field. On 7 July 1947, a secret operation was begun to assure recovery of the wreckage of this object for scientific study. During the course of this operation, aerial reconnaissance discovered that four small human-like beings had apparently ejected from the craft at some point before it exploded. These had fallen to earth about two miles east of the wreckage site. All four were dead and badly decomposed due to action by predators and exposure to the elements during the approximately one-week time period which had elapsed before their discovery. A special scientific team took charge of removing their bodies for study. The wreckage of the craft was also removed to several different locations, see Attachment B. Civilian and military witnesses in the area were debriefed, and news reporters were given the effective cover story that the object had been a misguided weather research balloon. A covert analytical effort organized by General Twining and Dr. Bush acting on the direct orders of the president resulted in a preliminary consensus on 19 September 1947 that the disc was most likely a short-range reconnaissance craft. This conclusion was based for the most part on the craft's size and the apparent lack of any identifiable provisioning, see Attachment D. A similar analysis of the four dead occupants was arranged by Dr. Bronk. It was the tentative conclusion of this group, 30 November 1947, that although these creatures are human-like in appearance, the biological and evolutionary processes responsible for their development has apparently been quite different from those observed or postulated in Homo sapiens. Dr. Bronk's team has suggested the term extraterrestrial biological entities, or EBEs, be adopted as the standard term of reference for these creatures until such time as a more definitive designation can be agreed upon. Since it is virtually certain that these craft do not originate in any country on Earth, considerable speculation has centered around what their point of origin might be and how they get here. Mars was and remains a possibility, although some scientists, most notably Dr. Menzel, consider it more likely that we are dealing with beings from another solar system entirely. Numerous, numerous examples of what appear to be a form of writing were found in the wreckage. Efforts to decipher these have remained largely unsuccessful. See Attachment E. Equally unsuccessful have been efforts to determine the method of propulsion or the nature or method of transmission of the power source involved. Research along these lines has been complicated by the complete absence of identifiable wings, propellers, jets, or other conventional methods of propulsion and guidance, as well as a total lack of metallic wiring, vacuum tubes, or similar recognizable electronic components. See Attachment F. It is assumed that the propulsion unit was completely destroyed by the explosion which caused the crash. A need for as much additional information as possible about these craft, their performance characteristics, and their purpose led to the undertaking known as United States Air Force Project SIGN in December 1947. In order to preserve security, liaison between SIGN and Majestic 12 was limited to two individuals within the Intelligence Division of Air Material Command whose role was to pass along certain types of information through channels. SIGN evolved into Project Grudge in December 1948. The operation is currently being conducted under the codename Blue Book with liaison maintained through the Air Force officer who is head of the project. 
On 6 December 1950, a second object, probably of similar origin, impacted the Earth at high speed in the El Indio Guerrero area of the Texas-Mexican border after following a long trajectory through the atmosphere. By the time a search team arrived, what remained of the object had been almost totally incinerated. Such material as could be recovered was transported to the AEC facility at Sandia, New Mexico, for study. Implications for the national security are of continuing importance in that the motives and ultimate intentions of these visitors remain completely unknown. In addition, a significant upsurge in the surveillance activity of these craft beginning in May and continuing through the autumn of this year has caused considerable concern that new developments may be imminent. It is for these reasons, as well as the obvious international and technological considerations and the ultimate need to avoid a public panic at all costs, that the Majestic 12 group remains of the unanimous opinion that imposition of the strictest security precautions should continue without interruption into the new administration. At the same time, Contingency Plan MJ-1949-04P-78, top secret eyes only, should be held in continued readiness should the need to make a public announcement present itself. See Attachment G. And then the next page has uh, a numeration of attachments. It has all the, the different attachments that uh, were uh, apparently... Uh, went along with this uh, briefing document. It has attachment A, B, C, D, E, F, G, and H. <clears throat> and all of these attachments, <laughs> boy, oh boy, it would be nice to, unfortunately, the only attachment they included was the first attachment, attachment A, which was the special classified executive order that uh, President Truman had signed on September 24th, 1947. And so uh, the next page says attachment A, and then it says, uh, the, the, and then the page after that is the actual letter that Truman signed, uh, you know, beginning that started Majestic 12 that that made it, you know, brought it into uh, brought it to life, basically. And it says memorandum for the secretary of defense. Dear Secretary Forrestal, as per our recent conversation on this matter, you are hereby authorized to proceed with all due speed and caution upon your undertaking. Hereafter, this matter shall be referred to only as Operation Majestic 12. It continues to be my feeling that any future considerations relative to the ultimate disposition of this matter should rest solely with the office of the President following appropriate discussions with yourself, Dr. Bush, and the Director of Central Intelligence, signed Harry Truman. So that was the beginning of this. Okay. That was the first document that was received uh, by these researchers now uh before we get into this the next document uh which was actually came up came about was discovered about a year later which was the see the the, the difference between uh, what, what what these people had here what they what they were looking at was um they they were looking at uh a picture of documents so it was hard to verify you couldn't verify the age of the paper or anything like that but they could things that they did verify were like the the typeset the the signature a lot of people said oh that's 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 a copy of truman's signature and all but the thing was that friedman had answers to all of these and 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 and, and some of the other things were like uh, the date formats the way date formats were were some people objected to that saying oh, they didn't use the they didn't have it like they didn't say uh, uh you know for you know like for example uh 
you know, have the 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 day before the the month. You know, they didn't do that kind of stuff. But then Friedman showed that yes, of course they did. They did all all different things like that. But it, again, it's it, it's so complicated. It's not something that anybody could could sit there and try to explain to you. You you need to read Friedman's book to to, to get the gist of this to understand how you know these documents are real. You know, I I believe that Friedman was correct. I think that they are real. After I I've went for the last couple of weeks, I've been reading this book, and along with some other books, uh, doing some research on this, and I'm convinced now. I'm convinced that these documents were real because I don't know how they could have been faked. Now, <clears throat> about a, uh, the following year, 1985, after the uh, the documents, the the, the the role of film, black and white film that uh, was received by Jamie Shandera, uh, the same three investigators, Shandera, uh, Moore, and Stanton Friedman, uh, came upon another document. They found another document, uh, at, but this time it was the, an actual document that that Friedman was able to later prove that you know you know was consistent with the you know it was on the type of paper that was used uh, uh, by the government back in the in the fifties when it when it would have been uh, typed up. It was the same kind. Obviously, it was used by some sort of a typewriter that would have been used in, in the old days. There's all kinds. Of, again, I'm not going to get into that kind of evidence with this, but it was very strange with how they discovered this this stuff. But what happened was uh, initially in, in March of 1985, uh, Friedman you know, was notified by somebody at the modern military branch of the National Archives that the, uh, they, they, were, they were classification reviewing some uh, old Air Force intelligence files. And, and you know, when this happens and, and these things are going to be, some of these things are going to be declassified. So this, you know, uh, Friedman, you know, he liked, he, he liked to, you know, look at this stuff, obviously, because there could be some UFO related uh, documentation in there. So he, uh, <clears throat> you know, he, 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 put, he put that on the back burner. He, because at that time when he first heard about it, it still wasn't released. So then, Meanwhile, Shandera and Moore started receiving these uh, weird uh, postcards. Uh, uh, these had riddles on them, uh, you know, talking about Reese's Pieces, like from E.T. and things like that. Uh, and one of them, uh, one of the po- weird postcards that they got was uh, had a return address on it for, for Box 189, Addis Ababa, Ethiopia. Okay. So, you know, they didn't know what to think of that at the time. Now, that didn't come into play till later on. So uh, later on, like, they start receiving this. And then by that summer of 1985, a few months after uh, when Friedman had, had found out that the, some, some new Air Force files are going to be uh, available to, to review at the National Archives, Shandira and Moore actually went to the archives uh, to look at this. And, you know, the way these archives work, there's just no way that you could, like, you, you can't bring anything in there yourself. And actually, there's some somebody that watches you as you go through each file and look at them. Basically, what they do is they'll bring out a, uh, you know, according to Friedman, the way it used to be. Now, things are different now. Now, you you, you request files. Now, you, you'd be able to probably get them online. Back in those days, there was no internet, okay? So, you had to actually go there and do the research, and it would take forever. If you're trying to find a specific document, you might not ever find it, actually. So, you actually had to go through, you know, they're looking for you uh, uh, potential UFO documents, 
So basically, they'd have to go through all these boxes, you know, these boxes with, uh, uh, you know, lids on them, hinged lids. And in each box, there'd be a ton of uh, file folders. And in each file folder, there'll be, you know, documents and, you know, you know, for different, for, you know, that were declassified. Sometimes there were, there were like markers in, in some of the folders saying that, okay, we couldn't release this document. So it's not declassified. So this is still classified, but there's, here's a marker here saying, oh, this document's still classified. But anyway, they would check these kind of things out all the time. So, so Shandera and Moore go to Washington in July of 85, and they're going through these different, all these different boxes filled with files of this, this latest Air Force dump of, of, of you know, declassified materials that are trying to find more UFO stuff. And when Shandera was taking out one file and, and putting another file back into one of, one of the boxes, he saw that there was a piece of paper stuffed in, in between the two files it wasn't supposed this piece of paper was not supposed to be in this box it had nothing to do with this but some for some reason it was there and the box happened to be box 189 okay just like that one of those weird postcards they had received uh that was had stated that it was the return address was box 189 addis ababa ethiopia so and this document turned out to be it really really wasn't that important in the grand scheme of things but it was important because it mentions magic uh, 12 this this document is known as the cutler twining memo and basically this memo states a uh, memorandum for general twining and it was a document that uh, was uh, written in july for on july 14th 1954 and it says uh, subject ns NSC slash MJ-12 Special Studies Project. The president has decided that the MJ-12 SSP briefing should take place during the already scheduled White House meeting of July 16th rather than following it as previously intended. More precise arrangements will be explained to you upon your arrival. Please alter your plans accordingly. Your concurrence in the above change of arrangements, arrangements is assumed. Signed, Robert Cutler, special assistant to the president. Uh, one of the strange things about this document, even though it had, it, it didn't actually have Cutler's signature, but then after some research, it was discovered that uh, Cutler was away, away. He was out of the country at that time. So, but, but before he left, there was another document that they had found that that uh, Friedman later found. You know, years later, actually, after they found this document, that stated that. Uh, Cutler told his assistants to keep stuff moving out of his box. So apparently, if Cutler's name would have had been on this document, then it would have been a phony because uh, they were able to determine that he was out of the country at that moment. So he couldn't have uh, signed that a document like that. But the, his assistant kept on pushing stuff out of his office, and this was one of the one of the documents that was pushed out of the office. And this thing somehow got declassified, and somebody shoved it in one of these boxes. It had to be somebody from the government. It couldn't have been somebody from the outside. It had to be somebody from the government who put this document, this old document, in, in that box. Uh, again, I'm not getting into. Uh, again, this if you want to if you want to find all the reasons why these documents are real, you, you need to read the book. I, you can't watch a documentary. You can't listen to somebody on on the internet. It, it's just too it's too complicated. It's just you know a lot of this stuff would put you to sleep. But the bottom line is. Is that the, the big the big question about this? Is so this means this is real. That these documents are real. They, they have not been proven after uh, since they've been known in the public since 1987. That's what 35 years now. That's 35 years now that they, these documents have been in the public domain, and nobody has successfully debunked them. 
And even and Stanton Friedman, before his death in his book, uh, Top Secret Magic, he, pretty much he, he shows how this why he believes strongly that these documents were actually real. Now, after those documents, there were other documents that came out. Some of them were faked, okay? But then, but then there was another document that... Uh, apparently was not faked. Uh, there was a uh, a, a different uh, document that had all these instructions on how to handle crashed saucers, like that gave instructions to people out in the field, basically, on how to handle crashed saucers, alien bodies, blah, blah, blah. I'm not going to get into that document in, in this in this discussion. What I'm talking about here uh, is the main, uh, the, the initial uh, Majestic 12 documents. Now, that Cutler-Twining memo, what makes that important is the fact that it just mentions MJ-12. It was just talking about a meeting. And then these things were verified later on that, okay, Friedman later on found out, okay, yeah, there was a, a meeting which uh, that, that that happened uh, we, we, uh, on that date. You know, now they don't say, it didn't say in the, in the, in these documents that he found that what that meeting discussed, but it, it, it went to show that, yes, uh, it, it was actually founded in a calendar, you know, for, for some of these officials that, oh, yeah, there was a meeting that day between these officials. So, but what this, the whole question to me is, uh, you know, th th that's really not answered is who's responsible? Like, who did this? It had to be a government insider. It had to be somebody within the government. There is absolutely no chance, no way that somebody on the outside could have devise these documents it's if you understood the all the different nuances the the way that some of the like it took years for people you know for stanton freeman to piece all this stuff together to piece the proof piece the proof together that 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 shows that these documents are real like uh you know dates uh the fact that donald menzel was one of the members of uh majestic 12 dr donald menzel was a harvard astronomer nobody knew you know when these documents first came out nobody even the public really knew that this guy had a top secret clearance, and the other thing is, is he was the he was the top the the most well known debunker UFO debunker out there from the fifties into the throughout the sixties, and you know, and he died in nineteen seventy six, and and he was the biggest debunker. So it was actually strange to see his name his name in the, as one of the Majestic Twelve members. But you know, uh, Stanton Friedman did a lot of research, and it took a lot of effort to determine. Okay, this guy actually did. Uh, work with the government on highly classified uh, and, and actually had a top, uh, uh, you know, uh, he was, he had a, a top secret clearance, you know, clearances. And so, he, I mean, it was things that nobody knew really in the public, you know. So it took, it was after the fact, after he was already dead, after these documents came out years, you know, were were, were released by somebody years later that it was discovered that this Donald Menzel was, uh, actually, everyone thought he was just the biggest debunker. Here he was, work potentially a member of Majestic Twelve, so he knew about all this all the time. But yet, in the public, he would go out and say, "Oh, it's all fake. It's all phony." He'd actually come up with absolutely ridiculous explanations a lot of times too. That just, you know, didn't make any sense. But I guess the bottom line is this: is the government released these documents. They had to. Somebody in the government had to release these documents. And it's be, it, it just hard to imagine that they could, that somebody would have spent all this time to fake them because why, you, you basically they made them fake. You, you, you can't debunk them. They're debunked proof. I mean, why go through all that effort? You know, what, it doesn't make any sense for, for a joke. Uh, it just doesn't make any sense. I mean, uh, 
you know, like some people say, well, uh, maybe it was the, uh, the the researchers themselves that came up with these documents, but that doesn't make any sense either. It's not like they made a million dollars off this, off, off Majestic 12. They didn't really get any, anywhere on it. You know, it doesn't make any sense. Like, that doesn't make any sense. None of that makes sense. The only thing that makes sense when you when you understand this whole Magic 12, Majestic 12, Operation Majestic 12, there's a different uh, ways to say this. When you understand that it doesn't make any sense, it makes absolutely zero sense for anybody on the outside to do it. And besides that, uh, people on the outside just would not have access, easy access. It, it took Stanton Friedman years and, and tons of research, out, you know, hundreds of hours of research to dig up just, just certain dates and things like that. You, you would have had to have these things all lined up to make sure, that, okay, if we're going to say that, the, uh, you know, this, this guy was appointed on such and such a date to the Majestic 12 board and, and uh, we got to make sure, okay, we got to find a certain date that that would fit in but that's so difficult to find to find that kind of information out especially back then in the 80s when there's no internet and even if there is an internet it's still not easy to find these kind of uh, you you wouldn't be able to really verify these sorts of things it would be too difficult it's just too complex the complexities with with regard to these majestic 12 documents it's it, it's mind-boggling and 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 when you think about it uh the, the, i guess the biggest thing of it is the fact that that they're saying that Roswell was there was a crash at Roswell, and if and here's the other thing that doesn't make any sense though too, is that why would the government provide this kind of disinformation? Disinformation that would be very difficult to debunk. I mean, that cannot be debunked. It just cannot be debunked. It has not been success. There's been people that say things that aren't true, but that's just, but they're not true. Uh, the late Philip Class, one of the biggest UFO debunkers ever. This guy would come up with all sorts of different. Uh, 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 you know, objections to, to the documents, and and Stan Friedman had an answer for all of them. He he never really proved his point. He he he, he proclaimed loudly that oh it's fake, it's fake, but he never proved it. He never did. He it was it, he was unable to do that. And it, again, it, Friedman laid it all out in his in his research, and you can read that research in his book. I'll, I'll leave a link in the description for you know if you want to check that book out. Uh, it's very interesting. And uh, but but again. This proves, these documents prove that something did crash in Roswell. It proves that there is a group uh, in the government that's, that was formed not long after Roswell and uh, th- that decided that, you know, we, we got to have a top secret study group uh, the, that, that handles this and nobody can know about it. And, and they, they outlined the reasons in, in the document as to why they're keeping it secret. It was basically military secret, you know, they, they, uh, for, for the technological reasons. They didn't want, you know, other countries, uh, enemies to know about it. And also they were concerned about panic, but I, I don't see, I could maybe back then, but not today at this day and age, I don't think anybody's going to be panicked about uh, extraterrestrial visitors. Um. But again, it's I, 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 after doing my research here, I, I think these Majestic 12 documents are real. I have not seen any kind of argument uh, that debunks them. I haven't seen anything that successfully debunks it. I just don't see it. There, it there's no proof to debunk, that debunks this, these documents. And, and again, the, 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 the Cutler-Twining memo, that makes this really interesting because here you have a document that 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 was you know it was on somehow it was it got declassified somebody somehow got declassified shoved in a box somebody knew this within the government was sending these mysterious postcards to these ufo researchers and then they found the document in the box that was stated on the postcard box 189 uh so somebody within the government 
whether it was one person or a group of people or, or maybe it was a plan, wanted this information to get out. And then, you know, the funny thing about the, when these documents were, the FBI questioned the Air Force about these documents and, and Richard Weaver, Air Force, he was an Air Force uh, top disinformation expert, actually he taught courses on disinformation uh, to military officials, to people in the Air Force. Uh, he he wrote the word bogus on all the pages and sent them back and say, but he never explained to you know how he was able to prove that they were bogus. They hadn't they, he didn't have anything to show it. He just wrote bogus on it and sent it back. But somebody in the government wanted this, wanted this information out. And another interesting fact is that, that all these guys that were part of the Majestic Twelve, the original twelve, uh, 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 and then of course Forrestal, James Forrestal died in nineteen forty nine. He was replaced by somebody else in nineteen fifty. All those people, by the, when these documents were released in nineteen eighty four, uh, when they were received by these UFO researchers, it was right after the the last of those original people, the thirteen people, were gone, were dead. So. So they couldn't be questioned. And you wonder, too, did, did maybe the people in Majestic 12, maybe the group at some point, right? We don't have this document, but maybe they made it. Maybe they made a decision way back in the day to say, hey, at some, when we're dead, we can let the, we'll let the world see this. And maybe the and maybe but the government okay they had it maybe the government was forced to try to release get these documents out in the public and they figured okay we'll get them out in the public but at the same time the the government didn't want to uh, spill the beans completely on on the they didn't want to they they wanted to get these documents out and they figured okay we'll just do it because the original majestic twelve uh, group one of these documents released after all the all of them were dead uh, but. Uh, but we don't want the public to know about the reality of extraterrestrial visitors at this point. So we'll release the documents secretly to the, to these UFO investigators. And, and then, uh, but we're still going to keep the secret. We're still going to, we're still going to maintain secrecy on the subject, but we, we, we will honor their, their, uh, uh, their decision. You know, again, I don't know if that's true. I'm just wondering, you know, again, nobody knows what's true. You know, I saw Lou Elizondo recently on an interview, and he was talking about that he he wants to see he'd rather see uh, ufology blown up into a billion pieces or to something to that effect. I'm not exactly sure what the words were, but it was to that effect. He he'd rather see because he wants to start this whole thing over again. Uh, you know, I, I, that's not possible. You know, he, 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 there's some things that the government the government has been keeping these. The, okay, they're starting to come clean a little bit here. But what about these things that happened in the '40s and the '50s and the '60s and the '70s? You know, you know this cover up with with Roswell and whatever happened after Roswell that we don't know about. You know, Tic Tacs didn't start showing up in 2004 when David Fravor saw it. Okay, it's been going on a long time before that. You know, and, and the government has lied, lied to the people about this for all these decades. And now they're starting to come clean a little bit. And obviously there's forces behind the scenes that still are trying to keep this thing all hushed up. But, uh, <clears throat> you know, we, we need to start here. We need to start with the Majestic 12 documents. I mean, put it this way. Like the one thing I do agree with uh, uh, some people is that, uh, you know, if if. if if I'm wrong and the Majestic 12, that those documents are fake, if I'm wrong, right, there still has to be some organization. There would still have to be some organization within the United States government since 1947 that has over that that has been, you know, behind the scenes on this, that has, you know, the, the top authority on it, that, that, that kept this thing, the lid on this secret. There still has to be something like that. 
And that's what makes me think. That's why I think these documents were real. Somebody in the government released these documents somehow, whether it was was it the agency itself, some agency, was it the Majestic 12 agency itself that released the documents? You know, and, but they didn't want to still come clean about the whole, to the public about it. They wanted to do it this underhanded way where still people would be able to debate it and would not, not know for sure. Was this some sort of, even back then in the 80s, in 84, that was it determined, okay, we're going to start getting the information out, but we got to do it this way first. Because it's such, it's, it's such a sensitive topic, we just can't let the whole world know. I just don't, I just think everyone, you know, the, the, again, uh, the whole problem in the discussion of Majestic 12 over the years has been the fact that it gets bogged down in okay, but this is but the signatures screwed up here, and we don't. I don't think the the dates were format. It gets all this. It gets bogged down with all this nonsense. That you know, again, if you were to read Stan Friedman's book, <clears throat> he, like he erases all, all all. He makes it all clear on on why it's real. Like forget about the debunkers and what they said about it. Okay, now the next question is, this is where I'm at. Why? Who? why who and why and why is it still taking so long for them to come out with all of this why is it just what why do we have to wait okay if, if 84 they just somebody decided in the government okay we're going to release the these doc these mj12 documents this is going to you know explain something a little bit about roswell but you know and, and then but then they, they released them but the, the air force of course says it's you know richard reaver at the air force says oh it's bogus but but still people are a lot of people are still aren't sure if you're smart put it this way if you're a smart person right and you you did all the research and you read the research that was conducted by someone like stanton friedman you would understand that th these are probably real these documents are probably real I think they are real because I, I, I just can't, I, for the life of me, for the last couple of weeks now, I just can't figure out why anybody would want to fake them. It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't, it just makes no sense. It makes no sense at all. I mean, wh whether you're, uh, now some of the documents that came out later on, I could see cop people wanting to fake it. And they, okay, that, that, that copycats, that kind of stuff happens all the time in all, all different corners of life okay but those original documents that came out the original stuff that was on the uh, on the the roll of film and then the document the cutler twining document that was found in the archives itself in the archives itself right and all of these things passed the muster okay uh they're real those original documents they are real whatever came after that you know it's it's hard to know for sure Right, but those original documents are real. You do your research on it, you will know that. But again, my question is, and the reason I can't come to this conclusion is because I can't see why anybody would have faked them. It doesn't make any sense. It makes sense that somebody would want to release them. I, 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 I you know, you wondered, you know, if if they were faked, do you think that okay, somebody should have been arrested for faking them, right? You think that our, our government has has enough, uh, you know. Uh, you know, uh, officials, enough uh, law enforcement and, uh, and, and enough investigators to figure out, okay, who's who could have done this? Like, they could have figured it out and they should have made it public, but they didn't. They didn't. If somebody would have faked it, right, they, you'd think they, that would have been one of the first things they could have done. They would have brought somebody up and say, look at this guy, we found, we, found how, we found out the guy who faked it, right? And it has to be this guy right here. And this, we, we put it all together. But they never did that. There was nobody ever got in trouble for this. 
And, and, and so that makes me think if they did get in trouble, then that means the documents are real because we never found out who did it. You know, who released the documents? Uh, we, we don't. Nobody knows, right? And if so, if this person did get in trouble, if it, if he, if this person was found out, or persons, if they were found out, they would have been in trouble, right? Behind the scenes behind the scenes but if they were fake you would know i would imagine that the government would have said okay we found out the the jokesters that that faked these documents because they would have to know right they would have to know they would have been, been able they would have been able to figure out who was responsible because there couldn't have been that many people that would that could be responsible this is just too complex of a of a of a situation for that so yeah, I I still have lots of questions. I'd like to know who did it, who was responsible for these documents, and uh, I I I I want more. I want the rest of those attachments. Uh, you know, we we have attachment A, right? But we don't have the attachments. The other attachments. If you look at these other attachments here, let's look at this. Uh, let me pull it up here in the Friedman's book here. You look at these other attachments. You know, you're talking about. Uh, you know, you, you're going to get so the, the last attachment, attachment H, it says uh, Operation Majestic 12 maps and, and photographs folio. OK, so that means I would imagine that if we would have had that that attachment, right, we would have had pictures uh, of the beings themselves and the spacecraft, the crash, the, the, the crashed spacecraft, the remnants. We would have had all of that stuff. You know, but, you know, whoever released these didn't want to go that far, obviously. It's, it's, it reminds me of what's going on right now. The government gives us, like, the fuzziest pictures, the worst images, the worst videos. I mean, they're still compelling, but they're just not, you know, that you know, you have people doubting it still. You, ha you, you, you know, you, you're still giving someone, like, something for Mick West to pick at, right? So we need more. We need more, you know. We need somebody at a podium already. We needed somebody in a, a general coming to a podium in Washington D.C. and saying, "Yet this is it, right? Okay, it's real. Okay, extraterrestrial. What is it? Tell us what it is already, right? Stop holding back. It's time to know. And I want to. I'd like to know more about Majestic Twelve. I'd like to know more about the Roswell crash. We're in the seventy. This is right now, right? We're, this is the uh, the seventy fifth anniversary this year. Uh, this in July will be the 75th anniversary of this crash, and it's still covered up for all these decades. It's ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. We, we, we. It seemed like we might, you know, we, we were getting close there in the 80s. We had a lot of, you know, but there's no. The government has just won't won't admit to it. They they keep lying. They keep saying, oh, it's a weather balloon. Oh, it was a weather balloon, but it was, it was a top secret weather balloon. Okay. You know, to spy on the Russians and and yeah, uh, uh, we our top intelligence guy mistook a, a crashed alien spacecraft for uh, remnants from a, a down balloon, weather balloon, which he would have been easily able to identify. It's like making you treat the American public like we're a bunch of fools, like a bunch of fools. And and you know what? The media eats it up. The New York Times they 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 ate this up for years. It's only since recent years where they finally started to uh, get serious about this. You wonder like who at the top of the New York Times has been part of this cover up too. You wonder, you know, who 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 took them in the back room and said, "Yeah, well, this is real, so you just got to stay away from this topic. This is this is sensitive, top secret. Don't talk about UFOs. Always uh, debunk it." For all those decades before uh, 2017, when they finally did do something positive in this uh, topic. But anyhow, anyhow, you know, again. Majestic 12 is real. 
Uh, the documents, I believe, are real. I believe that those documents tell a story that's true. And I, I highly recommend, I cannot recommend highly enough to read the late, great Stanton Friedman's book, uh, Top Secret Magic. Uh, it's it's an excellent book. I mean, very uh, great research. I mean, you understand. Again, it's stuff that just, it, it, a, a, a one-hour-long documentary on TV cannot do it justice. Uh, you know, a, a one-hour-long documentary with uh, 20 minutes of commercials, especially, it cannot do it justice right this is something you need to read you need to read it and then you need to read it over again and then you need to go back and forth and okay uh try to figure it out for yourself right and then you, you once you understand okay this couldn't have been faked this these couldn't have been these documents couldn't have been faked you know it would have taken too much time too much research by somebody right? so it had to be some it had to be somebody in the government so it could and somebody in the government wouldn't if the government wants to maintain ufo secrecy why would they fake documents that can't be debunked that cannot be de- that doesn't make any sense it just doesn't make any sense and so the, the the documents whoever in the government you know released these documents they were releasing actual real documents that's what they did they were actual real documents anyway that's it